Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we will continue our conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey. If you've not yet listened to part one of the conversation, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode before you listen to this one. Our conversation with Stephen and this entire podcast series is made possible by the generosity of our partners. Our partners are Neat, Smart Biz Loans, and Entryless. Let me tell you about Neat. This innovative automation technology company has software that extracts data from both emailed and scanned documents, really any way that you can get them up to the cloud, regardless of the type of scanner you use or device you use. Neat provides a smarter way to manage receipts and invoices so you can work more efficiently. It automates the bookkeeping process, huge on profit margins for anybody providing outsourced accounting services. Get started today with a two-month free trial of Neat. That's an exclusive offer to our podcast listening audience. And you can learn more about that offer at water.com slash podcast. Let's talk a little bit about Stephen Covey. Stephen M. R. Covey is the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. Has been translated into over 20 languages worldwide. During last week's episode and in the conversation you're about to hear, it is that book, The Speed of Trust, that we discuss. During part one, Stephen described the relationship between speed and trust, emphasizing that once trust has been established, nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. He then went on to discuss the dividends or outcomes from high trust relationships and the cost, what he calls the tax, from having low trust relationships. Building trust, Stephen says, starts with an inside-out look. It starts with ourselves. And self-trust is the first wave of relational trust, relationship trust. It moves then into all of the relationships in your life organizationally, personally, or even in terms of entire markets for business relationships, and finally, even to all of society. Self-trust is founded in the notion of being credible, both in terms of character and in terms of competence. Well, after discussing self-trust, Stephen drilled down on how self-trust and relationship trust then led to organizational trust. His point is that you can build trust inside out, starting first with self-trust, and then you move naturally into building trust that follows into all of your human relationships and into your organizations. As you become a person who naturally has trust-infused relationships with your own team, you'll be in a position to help your clients to build that same trust in their organizations. As Stephen and I wrapped up the conversation last week, he discussed the metaphor of scaling new heights, playing off of the name of our annual conference that also is the name of this podcast series, our Scaling New Heights conference, our Scaling New Heights podcast series, not only uses the speed of trust to help bookkeepers and accountants to learn knowledge and skills, it actually helps you to use the speed of trust so that you can transform small business, as well as technological training, as well as practice growth and development training in every aspect it is our goal to transform small business through you, and we call that Scaling New Heights. Now, Stephen's going to be speaking at Scaling New Heights 2017 in Orlando, Florida, June 4 through 7. So don't miss this opportunity to hear him speak 
live. And if you're listening to this podcast before November the 28th, 2016, don't register yet. I know you're not going to hear many conference hosts tell you that, but please don't register for Scaling New Heights yet. Okay, wait until November the 28th, that Cyber Monday is the lowest price between now and the date of the event. And you can learn more about Scaling New Heights at woodard.com. Now, before we finish up our conversation with Stephen, I want to mention smart biz loans briefly. In this effort to transform small businesses, we need to have tools that we can deploy for the transformation of small business. And there is a lending crisis in our country that is crippling small business right now. There are all sorts of alternative lending organizations that, that are in the marketplace, and sometimes it's the only option that's available to our clients, and therefore they should take it. But if they can get a traditional bank loan at lower interest rates, an SBA loan, that's how we can transform them for the better. We can help them save a tremendous amount of money and get the capital they need to grow, to expand, to operate. And this is where Smart Biz Loans comes in at smartbizloans.com. They help businesses to secure funding, those traditional bank loans, and they do so through an online expedited facilitated process where your clients can receive funding as quickly as seven days after the application is complete and approved. To learn more about Smart Biz Loans, to take advantage of their generous offer to our podcast audience of a $500 credit on loan closing cost, go to woodard.com slash podcast. And now let's finish up our conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey. And Stephen, I'll tell you why I believe, you know, from the perspective of your book, that accountants fail to play this critical role, even when there is arguably a social mandate, a corporate mandate on them to play the role. And it's because they lack two things, and both are addressed in your book. They lack self-trust. Two things are both components of self-trust. They lack self-trust in all of its aspects many times meaning they don't believe they belong in that boardroom. They believe they belong in that back office. They believe they belong in that overhead category. And that's for all the reasons that you mentioned, which we won't restate here. Just remember from the first part of the podcast, you got to have all four elements in order to get to that self-trust. Character tends to be baked in. Accountants tend to be high-character folks, but then they're missing the other elements. But one key piece that we've been kind of uh, alluding to this whole time we haven't actually called out directly is knowledge. And they lack knowledge. You refer to to the knowledge worker here, the knowledge worker society that, that's imminent in a lot of the changes that are taking place in the professions. That's in your foreword. There's extreme competence and extreme knowledge in tax preparation, insurance services, right. and bookkeeping, and traditional accounting services. But but though everybody with a singular voice is telling accountants that they need to be trusted advisors, there are very few voices in the space telling them how to do so. How do you provide metrics that matter? How do you determine key performance indicators by industry? How do you engage your clients in ways that will increase their wealth? And so Woodard has taken up that mantle. I mean, we don't just say scale new heights. You can come to scale new heights, folks, listening to the podcast, and spend your entire time focused on that knowledge set so you can go back and actually deploy. But to tie it back to your point, Stephen, until they do that, until they get the knowledge, they'll lack the confidence. And then until they actually have the knowledge and the confidence and they deploy with consistency, they won't have the results. 
and they'll always get sort of caught up in the net of a lack of self-trust in this area. It, it, again, another beautiful description of kind of the reality, and and it fits into into this contract I've been talking about because those two areas that we're often deficient in, you know, lacking the confidence and lacking the knowledge. If you think about it, I and I like how you went back to the beginning because it's got to start with self-trust. In that self-trust. So if the character side is kind of the strength of the accounting profession, and that's a good thing, right? Because it enables you want you want to have trust, you want to have integrity that enables the whole system to work. But but the real differentiator is on that competence side, and and that's where the, also the self confidence will emerge from. Mm-hmm. Um, but so on that so when I divide competence into two halves, capabilities, the branches of the tree. And then results, the fruit of the tree. See, and you can't have the fruits without the branches. That's right. You gotta have the capabilities. And capabilities, I actually use the acronym TASK, T A S K S. Talents, attitudes, skills, knowledge, style. And, mm-hmm. and so, in the summary, it would be your expertise. And, you, and the knowledge is so vital, especially in your profession. Because it's changing so rapidly and it's voluminous. There's so much out there. But, but, but to get specific understanding and increase that knowledge, and that's why conferences like this are so valuable, is that we're trying to get relevant knowledge and, and useful, you know, adding value knowledge. But, but the more we can increase those capabilities, including the knowledge and the expertise, the greater the self-confidence that will build in us that we do belong. And we do belong at the table, we do belong at the board, and we do belong as a true advisor. We can add value because we understand not only the rules and the laws, but the implications of it and, 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 the, and the business dimensions behind it and, and what this can entail. And, and we can articulate that. We get, and we get more and more confident. So it becomes a circular process of those capabilities producing more results you know, the branches producing more fruits, the capabilities producing more results, which then reinforces our self-trust and confidence in ourselves. And the client then has more confidence in us, and it becomes circular, and we keep kind of moving in a, in a virtuous upward spiral, and, and we're going to greater and greater heights. But it's Growing an ongoing process. from the process. successes of our past, right? Exactly. Building yes. on those that's successes. What that's what propels us up the next leg of the mountain, is to draw from the success of the last leg of the mountain. You know? That's results. That's your yes. track record, and, exactly. and 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 that inspires self-confidence, and it inspires confidence in others that they will have in us. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay, so um, time only permits me to cover one more element of trust here, but you know, let's go all the way to the last ripple. You know, it kind of begins on the inside out, and then you've got your immediate relationships, your organizational relationships. For folks that are going to read the book, and hopefully every one of you will read the book. If you read it before you come to scaling, you're going to get so much more out of Stephen Covey's keynote. But you talked about sort of you know brand and reputational trust. We don't have time to stop on that one too long. Just folks, read the book. I want you to talk about societal trust. I thought that one was so powerful. What do you mean by it? it, it again, this is kind of the outer wave as we ripple out that that we also are trying to ultimately build trust in society. And I'll tell you what, those in the accounting profession are part of this. And and you think of the expression you know, trust and verify. Um, and that's that's part of what we do as accountants is that we're in the verification business that enables people, markets, and even society to trust. 
if there were no verification, it might be harder to trust. And and so it really has an impact on all society. And what's interesting here, Joe, is that that um, there's hard data that shows that high-trust cultures, high-trust societies exhibit better economic performance than do low-trust societies. You'd kind of suspect that, but it's really true. A Zach and Knack study, two economists, studied 41 countries, and their conclusion was that high-trust societies exhibit better economic performance than do low-trust societies. And in every case, it was true. We did our own kind of study on this, looking at the trustworthiness of nations, and and uh, juxtaposed to their gross domestic product per capita. And the trustworthiness of the nations was done through the proxy of the Corruption Perception Index. So it's not a perfect proxy, but it's not a bad one. And here's what you found. At every 10 percentage interval point, as you moved up from, from you know, when there was a lot of corruption, you had very low prosperity. And as you began to decrease the corruption and increase the trustworthiness, at every interval, the, trust, the prosperity of the society would go up. And you, you, again, you kind of suspect it. The research bears it out. And the point is, if you can, we could actually impact trust in an entire society. And that society could be your community. It could be your state. It could be the country. It could be the world. So we, we could define it in different ways. But, but this is very real. And, and we can make a difference and an impact in the world. We can make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs would say, and, and have an impact. And I'll tell you what, accountants are a big part of this because – because of the work that we do here, we increase trust in society. And, I, and as we add, as we scale new heights and add more value in that work, we can help elevate all society. And so I'm not Pollyannish on this and just, you know, overstating this, saying, you know, go out and change the world. But I am saying is, though, the only way to change the world, the only way to lift society is to go inside out. But don't underestimate the impact that we do have on society. I mean, look at, look at the opposite. Look what happens when you have you know, an Enron, a WorldCom, you know, huge scandal, a Bernie Madoff type thing, and how that hurts and destroys trust. Well, it works the other direction, too. You build great confidence in markets, confidence in an organization, in a company, in a leadership that can build trust. People are inspired by that, and it ripples out from there, too. So it works both directions, and it ultimately does have an impact on society. And that's inspiring. That's aspirational. Um, and, you know, it's all about contribution, making a difference. And I think this profession is a vital part of it. So I commend what you're doing, and, and, um, and I believe in it. And, and I've been a beneficiary because I've been a CEO of a company, and I had a um, – we started with – I had started with our, uh, uh, my accountant who had a small firm, but he was so trusted to me and to my father when we started and, and our team – we we uh, we ended up uh, riding with him all the way through until we became a public company, you know, and then and then we were required to go to a big four type firm, and and uh, but we rode him all the way through for for many many years, and 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 we not only used him to do accounting work, but he, he became such a trusted advisor to us. We had such confidence in him. We put him on our board. He was an advisor to the board, so we kept still a legal. Um, you know, so he could do his accounting work, but, but but we wanted his advice on everything for the entire business. And so I've seen this done at the best and highest level, and including doing all the basic vital things that have to be done and adding those 
value-added perspectives and judgment and wisdom and insight that we got from him. And I saw this and how it impacted us. And we were trying to make a difference in the world and how this really synergized into something special. So we, you can have that kind of impact. And, and uh, so there's five waves. And I love that we start with ourselves, but I love how we end with impacting all of society. It's mm-hmm. inside out. And you talk in the book about a principle of, of abundance. And, and I think that a lack of of understanding of that is what stops us from being, from engaging in social trust. And and for those who haven't read the book, I mean, the the idea is that you don't hoard your assets, whether intellectual capital or financial or even substantial. I know this sounds like I'm asking people to step out on faith a little bit, but you embrace a concept that if I pour my cup out, something's going to fill my cup back up. And you can never fill another person's cup, but you can pour out your own. And I've found in life, and I think this is a little bit of that that self-trust coming back in, because without it, we can't engage in social trust. But in my self-trust model, I've found that every time I do pour out my cup, every time I give something I don't think I can afford to give, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's resources, whether it's intellectual capital, my cup does get filled back up. And once I see that pattern happening, and, and there's a weird antithetical force in the universe that by giving away more, I actually am not, it's not like a multiplier where all of a sudden I become rich and I give away to get rich. But the more I give away, the more sustained I become, that somehow in that act, I grow. But I think the other reason we don't engage in societal trust is because of a sense of defeatism. You know, I mean, what difference can I make, you know? And I'm not the Covey family. I don't have an audience of millions of people. I don't have perennial bestsellers. But my challenge to you, if you're listening to the podcast, is first, the Covey family wasn't always the Covey family as we know them either. They they engaged in social trust activities, and they started changing the world. And that could happen to you as well. But the bigger challenge, more practical challenge I would give is, even if you can't change the world, and most of us can't, we can change the world for one person, then the next person, than the next person. And that's the challenge I got from your book, Stephen, at Societal Trust Piece, is just start changing the world one person at a time. Sort of that be that change you want to see in the world that Mahatma Gandhi uh, yep. challenged us to do. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. wrap-up summary on that, um, Joe. And I even believe that abundance is um, a choice. Abundance is a choice. Some of the most abundant people I know don't necessarily have a lot of resources. Whereas some of the mm. most scarce scarcity mentality people I know have a lot of resources, mm. but but they, they they see the world through the lens of scarcity. You know, zero sum. There's only so much, and I got to get my piece. There's a, you know, their life's a pie, and if I get less of a pie, someone gets more, then I get less. That's the zero sum, the scarcity mentality. The abundance mentality is that there's a pie that is an expanding pie mm. and a growing pie, and the fact that someone gets more doesn't mean I can't get more too. And it's just, it's a mindset. It's a it's a condition. It's a choice. Abundance is a choice, not a condition. And and Very so, nice. and you know, a great example of this is um, John Huntsman Sr., the philanthropist, billionaire, Huntsman Chemical. Now, not not the politician, his son, but the the, the father. And and um, um, he's one of the most abundant people in the world, and he's given away all of his money. He wants to die broke, you know, but. People say, well, that's easy for him, you know, to give away. He's got so much. He can give it all away. He's got so much. But the interesting thing about John Huntsman is he was giving away the money when he had nothing. Hmm. He had nothing, and he was giving away money he didn't have (laughs) because it was a mindset for him. 
it was a it was a choice that he made when he had no resources. He still was giving everything away, and it has come back. And and um, it really does and can happen. We had this decision clear back in 1989 when my father was writing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Back then, it was a different mindset. A lot of people were saying, don't publish the book. If you publish the book, who's going to hire you to come give a speech on it when they can just buy the book? That was kind of the mindset, and the thought was, no, no, no. Get it out there. Get you know, it's abundance. You give it out there, it will come back. And he published the book and it did he went out there and people said, Wow, we love this book, come in and speak. It was just the opposite. You know, it was an abundance thing. It created a far bigger pie and that was completely contra to the conventional wisdom at the time. Today mm-hmm. it looks like obvious, but at the time it wasn't. The, the time you wrote that book, it was all about trade secrets. It and, was about trade secrets. Everyone hoarded intellectual property. That's right. right. You would hoard your IP. We had some competitors that were the same size as us. We were just small, and they would hoard their IP and protect it. And you couldn't get it unless you paid big bucks to get it. We we went the opposite direction, of saying it would come back to us a thousand mm-hmm. times. And it was, abundance is a choice, not a condition. But it's part of how we build that self trust, and it also helps us overcome the the defeatism as you call about it as you call it you know and and the basic premise of that i would just say is this is that the best way to predict your future is to create it we are all the own creative force in our lives and while we don't see the world as it is we see the world as 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 we are but our head can create our world and when we choose paradigms of abundance instead of scarcity we open up possibilities that we maybe would never have seen before yep and, you know, there, there, I just have to point this out because your, your book stands on its own and it is its own thought process and is absolutely innovation. But I see a lot of your father's book in this. I see interdependence, which is the highest goal of the first six habits. I see a little bit of the sharpening of the saw. And I see, in just like you just described, in that proaction, there's a lot of connection between the first three habits and this concept of self-trust. So what you just said is basically we are the creator. And that's the whole premise of the first habit. It's the whole premise of, of the seven habits and the very first habit that, you know, we're not a victim. And, you know, we are programmers. Habit one, habit two is therefore write the program, you know, create you it. Go. And then habit three, live it. And and there's no question that, that uh, you know, the greatest influence in my life, both personally and professionally, has been my father and and um, so he kind of teed up the idea of trust or the emotional bank account. And, and what I've tried to do is kind of take it and drill and go deep into one idea from his book and go deep into that and to make trust practical and tangible and actionable. Because for, you know, if you think about it, Joe, nobody's going to argue with trust, right? Everyone will say, yeah, yeah, trust is nice. You've got to have it. But still, for some, it's just this nice, soft, warm and fuzzy social virtue I'm trying to show that it's economic as well as social. It affects the speed at which you can move and the cost of everything. And I'm trying to show also that it's learnable. Yeah. That it's a learned skill. It's something we can get good at. We can move the needle at. We can become better at building, creating, growing, establishing, extending, and in some cases even restoring trust. And that it's del- we can do it deliberately, intentionally, on purpose. We can build trust on purpose from the inside out. And so I, 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 I stood on the shoulders of a giant, <laughs> my father, and I'm just and you trying shouted to shouted your old message there. very loud from those shoulders. It was a fantastic book. So Stephen, first, I'm so excited that you're going to be joining us at Scaling New Heights. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation in a sense there where you can drill down even deeper on some of these concepts to our audience. Everybody listening, 
get this book. It is extremely powerful. It will shape the way you look at the world, the way you look at relationships, and the way that you develop out yourself. And if you want to read The Seven Habits and this, you know, back to back, that's even a bigger challenge for you. They do play together very, very well. Stephen, thank you so much for writing the book. Thank you for engaging us. And thank you for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks for having me. I love being with you, and I'm excited to be also part of your conference coming up in June. Well, we're looking forward to it. We'll see you in June. Look forward to it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey. Our third podcast partner, one of the partners that brings this podcast series to you, is Entryless. Entryless fully automates bill pay and is seamlessly integrated with numerous cloud solutions. So whether you use QuickBooks, QuickBooks Online, Sage One, Zero, others, Entryless converts your suppliers' bills, your vendors' bills, into accounting data, automating the entire process of payables, both on the input and the payment side. This is an essential tool for anybody performing outsourced accounting services. Entryless is providing a special offer of 2,000 automated bills for free just to our podcast audience. And you can learn more about that special offer at woodard.com slash podcast. Now, for more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning and scale new heights.